Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but we're excited. You may have guessed we are on stage live at our St. Charles South Elgin campus recording this episode. Hey, everybody! It's so good to see all of you. Oh, you can't stop them. You can only hope to contain them. Man, exactly. did they jump the gun it's on that, amazing. that cheering. So much energy in this room right now. Well, before we get into this passage, I have a fun question for everyone, not just you guys. Like, you guys right. are going to answer, but everybody's going to answer too. So this passage that we're looking at is a story about sorting people into groups. So we thought it would be fun to sort you into groups. So I'm going to give you a set of either-or questions, and you're going to pick one or the other. Okay. So, guys, first question is morning person or night owl? Which one? Which one are you? Uh, I don't think I'm naturally either, but I have learned to be a morning person. Yeah. Okay, so morning person. Yeah, I'm more of a morning person. Okay, yeah. my, me as well. I'm a morning person. Morning people, put your hands up. All, all five campuses, campuses, raise your hands all five if you're campuses. a morning Look person. Look at all those morning wow. people. All right, Look, night owls, this is go the ahead, nine, put your hands up. Night owls, raise your hands. All right, night owls. Wow, more okay. than I thought. Next one, burger or tacos? Oh, yeah, you can hear the groans. Yeah, All right, here, here's what I think. I, I think uh, the average taco is better than the average burger, and the best burger is better than the best taco. So, all right. Okay, Eric, I'm going to let you answer first, because he just qualified it again. He's his always ability to things. overthink these questions is unbelievable. <laughs> I've never burgers. overthought of burgers. All right, burgers. Eric's burgers. So did you pick one, or...? No, okay. this is what he does. He you gives what sounds like an intelligent answer, but he doesn't really answer. Uh, tacos. We'll say tacos. tacos. Okay, I'm, I'm also tacos. Everybody across five campuses, hands up, burgers. Okay, all right, all right. Tacos. Yes. Tacos wow. win. Okay. okay, next one. Dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Yeah, dark chocolate. Dark chocolate. All day. Uh, no, I, I used to, to pretend like I preferred dark chocolate, but then I got honest with myself. I like sugar, so milk chocolate. Wrong answer. Okay. No, you have to knock down the... Pre- don't, don't eat like the 90% dark chocolate. Knock it down to like 80 and it's got enough sweetness in it. That's good. That's good. All right. I'm in the dark chocolate camp as well. All right. Dark chocolate. Raise your hands. Nice. We got some cheers. All right. Milk chocolate. Raise your hands. Oh, there's more. I think there's more milk chocolate. Okay. Guacamole or salsa? Oh. <laughs> they're, 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 they're pained by these questions. They're responding like these are like, like really important questions. These are important oh, questions. I'm one. sorry, Eric, but they Don't are. Don't make me choose. All right. Which? Uh, guac. Guac. Uh, I eat salsa every day. Salsa. Every day. So, okay. yeah, salsa. I'm not going to answer yet because I'm still thinking. All right. Everybody, guacamole, hands up. Okay. Salsa hands up. Oh, I think that's like real 50 50. Oh, that was like a 50 50 split. Yeah. I put my hands up for both because all of you are wrong. The answer (laughs) is never one or the other, it's always both when it comes up to guacamole and salsa. All right, babies dressed as animals or animals dressed as humans. This is weird. I don't want (laughs) to answer this one at all. Uh, some of you, some of you, some of you dress up your animals. Don't do that. They don't like it. It's for you, not for them. So are you assuming that the babies like to be dressed up as animals? You're good point. Good point. But I think, you know, Halloween, that's cute. That's sort of fun. Although I think if you're like, if there was a, a, like a monkey in a little tuxedo or whatever, versus like a baby in a monkey costume, I'd want to see the monkey in the tuxedo. 
Okay, I, I but but probably babies. I get first. that. I'm right. not answering because neither one of those behaviors contribute to a healthy society. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Let's see. Hands up. Babies dressed as animals. No, no. Somebody's no. Wow, we're getting we're no. getting vocal answers now. Okay, <laughs> animals dressed as humans. No, no. See, they, they have rejected. How many are abstaining no. with me no. for societal reasons? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Chicago or New York style pizza? Oh. Oh no no no. Clayton. We're talking deep dish Chicago, right? Yes. That's right. Yes. Okay. Um, Chicago style pizza. Obviously, it is a masterpiece, a work of art, <laughs> elevating normal food to something that is sublime. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. So, I was born in North Jersey, right across the river from Manhattan. Grew up in the Northeast. There is no way that this debacle called Chicago Deep Dish Pizza is even in the category of pizza. New York style, big triangle, snap the crust in half, fold it in half, dump the grease, eat it off of a paper plate. That's pizza. That's pizza. No, 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 no. If you need a fork and a knife to eat your pizza, it's not pizza. No, fork and a knife. It's stew, it's pot pie, it's something. Pot pie. It's not pizza. The fact that you have to pour the grease should tell you everything you need to know. That is amazing. It, you might as well eat the paper plate covered in cheese. It's like that. It's like the fork and the knife. It just means that you've le- leveled up to a new level of uh, sophistication and elegance. You can- what? No, that, that's like okay. the old Seinfeld episode where George is eating a Snickers bar with a fork and a knife. <laughs> just because you use utensils doesn't make it sane. Well, uh, obviously, you know which camps we're in. So, all right, <laughs> hands up for Chicago-style pizza. That's right. What a shocker okay. in the Chicago okay. suburbs. Okay, it's all right. Hands up for New York. Yes, there's, a, there's our people. Wow, we got That's some cool. booze. Wow. I, I respect you, New York people, for raising your hand, for risking yourselves in that way. So. All right, last question. Here we go. Be embarrassed or be afraid? I feel like there's oh, no good answer to this I, I spend all my time being afraid I'm about to be embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> That's That's where I live. And I would be embarrassed if you saw me afraid. So uh, I'm going to say I'd rather be embarrassed because fear is no way to live. I'd rather be embarrassed. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's probably right, but I choose afraid, yeah. I, I was going to choose afraid, too, but then he said that. I don't know what to think now. Okay. All right. To be embarrassed, hands up. Okay. All right. Be afraid. Uh-huh. I mean, they're not good choices. Like, who, who wants yeah. to there, right? All right, well, thank you all for playing along. I hope you learned something new about us and the people that are near you. Try not to be too judgmental for those who got the guacamole and salsa answer wrong. Remember, it's always both, not one or the other, okay? All right, Eric, let's um, tell our listeners, how does the Bible Savvy podcast work? Okay, let's do that. So every week we release a podcast on Monday. It follows the Bible Savvy reading schedule. We pick one of the passages from that coming week's schedule. Uh, We use the comma method for our discussions, and we will go through that today as we go through the podcast. And obviously, we have this conversation as a group. Uh, One of the things that we have learned over the years here is the comma method is really helpful in terms of your individual Bible reading. It slows you down enough to actually understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word to your life instead of just reading your Bible like a checklist kind of thing, like good Christians read their Bible, so I'm going to plow through my Bible reading, check it off, and move on. Uh, But I think where the comma method really shines is in a group discussion. 
So this summer, uh, my community group continued to meet through the summer. We had dinner every uh, Monday night together. Uh, half, we were normally a sermon discussion guide group, but halfway through the summer, we switched to having a comma discussion about a passage from the reading. The conversations were phenomenal. Um, so if you're in a community group and you've never tried just grabbing a passage of text and using the comma method to have a discussion, uh, we would suggest giving that a try. Uh, let's see. I'm going to make sure that I get everything here. Yep, that's it. All right. Clayton, what passage are we looking at today? All right, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. I would recommend turning there because as we have this conversation, it's really going to help to see it in front of you. Uh, let me explain how comma, the kind of in more detail works. The first step is C, which stands for context. Context is even before you read the passage, getting a sense of what's around the passage. So the basic context information we usually look for is who is the author? Who are they writing to? Was there a situation that they were writing into? And trying to get kind of the flow of kind of where things have been in the book. Like if you're in a, a passage in the middle, you want to see what came before it and what led up to it. The best place to get this information, we found, is, is there are really two sources that we recommend. One is the videos from the Bible Project. Uh, they do an incredible job in six, seven minutes, giving an overview of a book, giving the context about the author and the situation, the time frame it was written. Really, really helpful. I will often go to those uh, at, before I start reading a book, but then jump back in after I've read a little bit to kind of get an understanding of what's going on. Yeah, let me, let me help them with that here for a second. If you're looking for those, you can either Google Bible Project and the name of the book of the Bible, and it will pull the video right up. Or you can go to the section of the church's website that has all the Bible-savvy resources, and we link to those videos there. Yeah. The other place that you can go for context is in the introduction to a, a good study Bible. So if you get a study Bible, we recommend the NIV study Bible around here. Uh, you can uh, go to the beginning of the book, and it will give you all of that kind of information uh, about that book. So I'd recommend that as well. Let me give you some context for the passage that we're in. So we are in the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew was written by, surprise, surprise, Matthew, who was a disciple, an apostle of Jesus. So he is writing about things that mostly he witnessed and, and people around him were, were there for uh, he is writing to Christians in general, but in particular, he's thinking about people who come out of a Jewish background. A lot in the first century are asking the question, how does Jesus relate to the Old Testament? How does Jesus relate to Judaism? And he is uh, making some of those connections in his book. Now, we've been looking at the, the flow of things all summer long. So if you've been around and following along, you kind of have a sense of where the, the book of Matthew is. But just in case you need a reminder, uh, the way the book of Matthew is structured is like this. There are five big blocks of teaching from Jesus, and this is really deliberate. So the five blocks of teaching are there, and then there's like stories about miracles in between. But the reason Matthew grouped the teaching like that is because he was trying to make Jesus look like a, a previous person, namely Moses. Moses wrote five books of the Bible, and so to present Jesus in blocks of five teaching, it's saying he is a teacher, a, a new and better Moses. Like, you should really listen to him. He is the greatest teacher that's ever been. And so we are right now in the last block of teaching, the fifth block, and the passage we're going to look at today is the very last section of that teaching. So it's the final thing that happens before the end of the book, before, well, the last events of the book. When you turn the page, Jesus is going to get arrested. He's going to go to the cross, and all of the rest of that is going to take place. So this is kind of the final word before all that happens. The next step in comma, after context, is O for observation. I'm going to explain this before I have Eric read the passage, because what I want you to do is, as, as we read, I want you to do this step with us. So the way observation works is this. Before you can understand what a passage means, you need to know what it says. So observation is a time when you slow down 
and you pay attention to details. And what I found is that a lot of people who have tried to read the Bible and it's really not stuck, when they get observation, when they understand this part, it really becomes the, the, the key that unlocks them saying, oh, I can start to get things out of this. And so we look for all sorts of things. We look for things like repeated words, truths about God, things that just strike us. Sometimes it's something that just evokes a question or an image that's interesting. And you just pay attention. You're sort of like a detective. You're, you're going into a scene and you're looking at all the clues before you know what they all mean. You're just trying to gather them. And the more you get, the more you're going to get out of it. So we're going to do that together as Eric reads the passage. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. All right, let's start making some observations. What did you guys see in this passage? The first thing that I saw was this truth about God, that he is coming in his glory. All the angels are going to be there. He's sitting on a glorious throne. And this is different than the glory that he came with in the first time. First time he came as a baby. This time he's coming back as king. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, the, the first thing that jumped out to me is where it says all the nations will be gathered before him. So everybody, all people, one day answer to Jesus. Uh, my first observation is this image that's there. You've got uh, the shepherd, the sheep, the goats. Um, Jesus is painting this picture of, uh, you know, the, the, there's a shepherd who's got a flock with both the goats and the sheep, and he's got to separate them. So there's that image of judgment, of sorting things out. Uh, and, I, and I remember this has come up a few times in Matthew where he's used image of saying, I'm going to sort out the wheat from the weeds or the people who go on this road or that road. He's, he's kind of talking about people are going to be divided into this, these two groups. That sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. The comma tip of the week exists to help listeners understand, enjoy, or apply God's word. You know what's better than that? 
you helping a whole bunch of people do the same. So grab your phone right now and find the Bible Savvy Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Then subscribe, because search algorithms are a real thing. So is honey, torque wrenches, and the Patagonian toothfish, but that doesn't matter right now. What does matter is that the more subscribers to the podcast, the easier it is for others to find. You're a few clicks away from helping thousands of people understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. Go ahead and do it right now. We are unlikely to say anything interesting for the next few minutes anyway and this has been your comma tip of the week <laughs> no seriously yeah subscribe rate review it all helps it all helps good it's all good he surprises us when that's going to happen yes. every time every time all right what other observations you guys got uh, another one that i saw something striking stood out to me so in 37 verse 37 and verse 44 um these people are surprised they say lord when did we uh, when did we do that? When, when did we do all these things for you? And so both groups of people are surprised. And um, that's echoing just apart from Sermon on the Mount where people again said, Lord, Lord, when did, we, when did we not do this for you? When did we do this for you? When did we not do this for you? So it's, it's interesting. They're surprised. Yeah, con- connected to that, it reminds me of, remember before the Apostle Paul was Paul, he was Saul, and Saul was persecuting Christians. He was going around trying to kill Christians, and he has an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And the question that Jesus asks Saul is not, why are you persecuting them? It says, why are you persecuting me? The extent to which Jesus associates with his people, what he's saying is, to the extent the way you treat them is the way you're treating me. He, he, he very much identifies and links himself with his people. Uh, my observation is another striking thing here. Uh, in verse 34, it talks about, a kingdom that has been prepared for the people. And then in uh, verse uh, 41, it talks about an eternal fire prepared for the, the devil and his angels. And, and it's striking there that there are two places that God has prepared, two, two destinations, uh, one that he's prepared for people and one that he's prepared for his enemies. And he's saying people are going to end up in one of those places. Um, and it, it does kind of raise that question, you know, like you come across those references to hell in the Bible. And, you know, even as someone who's been doing this for a while, there's still something kind of, you kind of catch your breath when you run across that because you say, really, are there, that's where God's going to send people. One thing that's worth noting is that um, we, we tend to back off from hell, like really, but Jesus is the person who talks the most about hell in the Bible. Like that's the most uh, references and information we get. And it points to the fact that evil is real and has to be dealt with. And if we didn't have God dealing with that, we would actually have an objection to that to say, you're not going to do anything about this. There's not going to be a consequence for these things. Um, but it's also worth noting that it says, it, was, it doesn't say that the uh, eternal fire was prepared for us. It was prepared for the devil. It was prepared for the evil angels that have rebelled against God. God doesn't want any of us to be there. And so uh, that's not our natural destination. Uh, and he, doesn't, he wants to prevent us from going there. And yet in this parable, we find out that some people do end up there. Yes. Yep. Uh, One of the things that stuck out to me also was the hungry, thirsty, needed clothes, inviting in the stranger, visiting the person in prison, like all very practical, basic human need kind of things that that are not complicated to understand. Jesus is looking for us to do the simple things in terms of loving one another. Yeah, and off of that, too, you mentioned it's like prison is like this, you know, when I was in prison and you came and you visited me, this is not your typical 
prisoner, though, right? Like, the, I think we need some context here. This is different. Yeah, it's, uh, we think of the, the prison system now where if someone is in, in prison, their needs are provided for there. They're getting meals. They're getting, you know, uh, care if they get injured or sick. And there's uh, basic needs that are provided for by the system. In the ancient world, a prison was not like that. And so if someone was in prison, they would, uh, it was expected that your family and your friends would bring you those things, that they would bring you food, that they would bring you uh, your, your basic needs. And so you can actually see this a little bit in the Bible when uh, Paul will mention it in his letters. There are times when he's writing from prison and he'll mention people who came and brought him things or took care of him. So this was the expectation here. So probably Jesus has in mind people who have been um, in prison for their faith. That's at least one category here that he's saying, you went and you took care of them, you met their needs. But he's probably also thinking wider about saying, those people that you might have forgotten, you, you need to go and take care of them. Yeah. What else? Uh, this is kind of connected to something we already saw. But when Jesus said, whatever you did for one of the least of these or whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did it for me. Um, and so we, we've already talked about the fact that I, Jesus identifies so tightly with his people. Uh, but also, if you, if you put, think about the categories of those people, so people that need food, people that need clothes, people that are sick, these these are the these are the the groups in society that are very easily ignored, but they are very much in the, in the heart of Jesus. Well, then, and off that, like I was going to say, everyone here is they're they're being judged by either something they did or they did not do, and so doesn't this contradict with? what it says in other places of the Bible, like I think of uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, I wrote down here, it says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then Titus 3, 5 says, it's super clear, it says, he saved us, God saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So, does this mean that we're saved by works? Yeah, <laughs> we have an apparent that's, contradiction. That's the tension, um, and probably some of you have felt this. We're talking about this passage, I, I, I think that if you have heard the message of the gospel that we are saved not because of things we've done, we need Jesus. Like that's the whole premise here, right? Like we need Jesus because we can't save ourselves. We need Him to pay for our sin because we can't pay for it. Um, this feels intention with that. So let, let me unpack this a little bit. Okay, when we talk about being saved by faith. It's really important for us to understand what the word faith means. So faith is not just, okay, I, there are some facts out there about Jesus, and I agree with them. So it's not just saying, you know what, when it comes to kind of how I describe the universe, yeah, Jesus died, Jesus rose, I, th I think those things. Faith in the Bible is a posture of the heart that says, I am going to surrender all that I have to Jesus. So it's surrendering to say, I can't save myself, so I'm going to let Jesus save me. I need him to do that. It's also saying, I can't run my own life. I need Jesus to do that. When I do that my, on my own, it goes nowhere good. And so surrender, that posture of faith, is one that says, I'm putting my whole self into Jesus' hands. Now, if you think about that, imagine a person who's that's the posture of the, their heart. There is no way that that isn't going to transform some of their behavior. Like it's going to come out in how they act if that's really where their heart is. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's not saying you're saved by the good things that you do, but he's saying if you want evidence for the, good th uh, for the faith that's in your heart, the surrender that's in your heart, those actions will point to it. So in the Reformation, back when uh, the slogan, you're saved by faith alone, really was the big deal, 
even those reformers would say, yeah, you're saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. It always comes with a transformed life. So we've seen this already in Matthew. Jesus is saying, uh, if you want to know if a tree is good, look at the fruit. Like if you see good fruit, it's a good tree. If you see bad fruit, it's a bad tree. He is not saying the fruit is what makes the tree healthy or unhealthy. He's saying it's evidence, it's a demonstration of how the tree really is. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. These are the behaviors of someone who has been transformed from the inside out. Okay, so then should I be worried if I don't see that kind of behavior in my life? Like, do I need to go out and do stuff? Or do I need, like, am I, do I need to be worried that I'm not saved if I don't see myself doing something? Like, what do I need to go do about it then? Yeah, it's almost like, okay, can I, I get a checklist to see how checklist? many of these I need to do to how prove that it's real? Do do? You know, yeah. that kind of thing. So um, there, there's a tricky thing. So in, when, when you talk to a, a group of people, and the public speakers all know this, uh, there's always uh, multiple groups of people that need different things. And sometimes you know that one group of people needs to hear something because that's really going to hit where they're at. And another group of people needs to hear almost the opposite thing, okay? So in a group like this, in a, a room like this, there's probably a group of you who are complacent, okay? So the, you think, you know, I go to church, you know, I, I, I think I'm a Christian, I'd identify with Jesus, and yet your life doesn't look any different from, you know, you know, it hasn't really transformed anything. I couldn't show evidence that this is really something going on inside me. And Jesus is speaking to that group saying, hang on a second. You can say you identify with me, but if your life looks no different, do you really know me? And so he's trying to wake up the complacent. The problem is there's also a group of people who are anxious. And some of you are here that everything you read in the Bible about how we're supposed to live makes you say, oh no, oh no, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? And in other places in the Bible, uh, it's speaks to you to say, no, remember, the one who saves you, the one that gets you in, the power to transform only comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from you. It's not a checklist. Even in this passage, it's worth noting, um, did you, do you remember that the people who were the righteous were surprised? They, 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 when Jesus said, you did all of these things for me, they're like, what are you talking about? The reason they were surprised is because it wasn't something they were calculating because they were anxious. Am I doing enough? It's because it just naturally flowed out of them. It was a transformation that came about because of their relationship with Jesus. So much so that when Jesus pointed it out, they're like, oh, those things? Oh, yeah, those are those things. Um, if you've been a Christian for a little while, you may have noticed this. If you look back at your life a year ago or five years ago, you might be able to say, whoa, there's a big difference in things in my life. Maybe today or tomorrow, it doesn't look dramatically different, but over the course of time, it's like going out and finding, oh, my garden has bloomed, you know? I didn't, I didn't realize that there are tomatoes growing, uh, but a month ago they weren't there, but now they're there. That's the experience that we have as Christians. Got it. Okay, so I have a follow-up question to Nikki's question because the, <laughs> there is a flip side ready, of this point. So, she's, <laughs> so she asked the question, should I like go out and start doing these things to prove that I'm a Christ follower? And your answer essentially is, no, those things are evidence of real faith. And over the course of time following Jesus, this will just slowly become more and more a part of your life. But what about this group of people? The group of people that say, I don't want anything to do with your Jesus stuff. Don't talk to me about heaven and hell. Those are fantasies. But they are good people who do these kinds of things. They, they feed the hungry. Mm -hmm. They clothe the naked. They're people who do not profess faith in Jesus, but engage in these kinds of behaviors. Yeah, so if, if Nikki's asking about people who say they have faith, but they don't have works, we're talking about people who have works, but would say, I don't have faith. Um, and so that, that's a good question, because if this is the criteria Jesus is looking at, could they sort of like have the outside part? Um, okay, for, first of all, um, I'm never surprised when I hear that a non-Christian has done something good. 
Um, that's not how Christians think. We, the, the thing that makes us uh, different is not that we're better people. It's that we realize we need Jesus. That's the only difference. So there are lots of times when people who are not uh, believers would say, I look at them and say, you live a really admirable way. There's still that kind of common grace where we have those instincts to do those things. So it doesn't surprise me. Um, but at the same time, I look at that and I say, that is not what Jesus is looking for. What he's looking for is that surrender in your life. And he's pointing to the works as the evidence of that. But sometimes there is evidence that could point to separate conclusions. Okay. So think, think about in like a, a health situation. Um, you might have symptoms that could point to different diagnoses. So if you told me, if someone came to you and said, all right, I, over the last nine months, I've gained 30 pounds. Wait, you did? So, yeah. So if, 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 if someone said, I've gained 30 pounds over the last nine months, you could come to a couple of conclusions. One might be that they're pregnant. Like, I, I have a baby, a new life growing inside of me. Or it might be that there's something unhealthy about their diet or, a, or an illness they've come across with. And they could point to different things. I, Same evidence. I need to ask the production team to do something. Can you please grab a clip of Clayton saying that yes. out of context? He just said... I'm pregnant. I have a baby growing inside of me. <laughs> Please post edit this, pull it out, and post it on Facebook. Thanks. It's, it's a good analogy. Just, we, you caught us off guard with that one. Go ahead. Context matters, everyone. <laughs> Context matters. Um, so uh, if that happens, you can say, okay, this is evidence of something different. The fact that someone's doing something good, it, they're not even saying it's evidence for their faith. It's an evidence of some other motivation going on inside of them. The, the thing that I would challenge someone who is like, I like to do these good things for people, um, is I'd, I'd actually ask the question, why do you think those are good things? Where did, where did that desire for that come from? We forget sometimes that in the ancient world, caring for people who are poor that were not your family was something no one thought was an obligation. Caring for people who are sick and, and offering care for them, if they were not in your immediate circle, part of your group, was not something that you felt. Christians invented things like hospitals and charities and those sorts of things because of teaching like this. And so for 2,000 years, our society has been influenced by things like the sheep and the goats parable. And we've picked up, even if you're not a Christian, that you should care about these things. So I would ask someone, like, where, did, where does that come from? And, and talk to them about the heart of Jesus for those things that is reflected even in their own heart. That's good. All right, let's, let's keep moving, okay? Uh, we've talked a lot about observation. Uh, we're going to go on to the first M in comma, which is message. Now, you can do the M's in either order, but today we're going to start with message. Here's the idea behind this. Message is when you take some of the things you've observed and you say, can I formulate a principle out of these? Something that I can apply to different situations. And we usually try to say, can you sum it up in a sentence or two? Uh, sometimes we say it's really good to write it down or say it out loud to someone so it crystallizes what you're talking about. And it makes it so that you can go from just you know, words on the page to something that you can say, what do I do with this? So we're going to do that now. Uh, what would your message be from Matthew 25 here? Yeah, by the way, I'll just say again, when my community group was doing this this summer, when you get to message, you, you just let it sit for like 30 seconds or a minute because everyone has to process and try to think of a sentence. Man, what people come up with is just phenomenal. So, all right, so here's my message. You were made for the kingdom. Live like you're headed there. Uh, and it's probably worth pointing out the flip side of that coin, which is there is a hell, but it wasn't made for us. So we should want to avoid going there. My message is, in Jesus' kingdom, small, unseen acts of service are neither small nor unseen. Uh, my message is, if you want to identify with Jesus, 
serve the people Jesus identifies with. He identifies with the the people who are beat up and, and forgotten in life. So much so that on the next page, he is one of the people who is hungry and thirsty and naked, a, a taken prisoner when he goes to the cross. All right, we are going to go on to the second M in comma, which is meditation. And some of you may be intimidated by that word, so let me make it really simple. Meditation is prayerfully pondering the passage of Scripture. It is going from just thinking about what's there to actually having a conversation with God about what you see. It's taking a moment to say, okay, God, what do you want me to hear from this? What do you want me to do with this? Is there anything you want to show me? And letting it not just be in your head, but sink down into your heart and, and fill your life. And so we take about 45 seconds on the podcast to do this each week. But in normal practice, it probably is a little bit longer than that to, to pray and talk about a, a section of scripture. Uh, but we're going to give you that time right now. I'm going to read just one verse here and uh, have you uh, take some time to pray about this. Jesus says this, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Let's do the final step in comma A, which stands for application. This is where we go from just ideas and principles to saying, what do we actually do in response to this? So how do you respond to your, your message? Okay, so my application based on my message, my message is you were made for the kingdom, so live like you're headed there. And so my application is in my next Bible reading and prayer time uh, to do a little bit of an inventory, to ask myself what kind of kingdom behaviors am I seeing in my life over the last several weeks? Uh, Because I would certainly hope that over a period of time of following Jesus, that there would be less and less worldly behaviors and more and more kingdom behaviors. Uh, It's reminding me of the the often thrown around quote or the question that says, "If, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And so my application is to just do a little inventory. Uh, my application to my message, was, which was, in Jesus' kingdom, small unseen acts of service are neither small nor, nor unseen, is to be encouraged um, and to offer encouragement. Because for those of us who are weary for serving in what seems like small and insignificant ways, um, they're not small and they're not insignificant. So that could be parents who are constantly serving your kids Uh, adult children who are caring for aging parents, anything that kind of falls in that line, um, God sees it. And so be encouraged because your, your acts are not small and they're not unseen. They matter to him and they matter to the people that you're serving. Uh, My message was, if you want to identify with Jesus, serve the people Jesus identifies with. And that starts with opening your eyes to see people. Uh, We've noted that some of these are the sorts of things that can get overlooked if they're not immediately in your world. And some of what it takes is to actually look and say, okay, I see my neighbors. 
I see my coworkers, I see people around me, pay attention to my community, and I realize there are needs there that I might have missed. And then to just do something. Sometimes we overthink it. We think it's got to be elaborate or whatever. But what the people here did were simple things of saying, I'm going to just include someone else in my circle of care. In the same way that I might care for an immediate family member, I'm going to do that for somebody else. And that's what we're talking about. If you want some uh, specific ways to get involved in our community, this is the reason we partner with different uh, groups with our uh, community impact partners. And so we would love to get people connected with that. If you want to go deeper and saying, I want to meet tangible needs around me, that's a great place to start. All right. Well, there you have it, friends. Thanks for listening this week. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along, you can check it out at BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we will talk to you next week.